Hello, and welcome to the 10th episode of the InfoSec Sync podcast, where we keep you in sync with the ever-changing world of information security. I'm your host, Matt Morris. And I'm your host, Nick Thomas. And give us 60 minutes, and we will keep you on top of the latest security news and help you gain CPEs while tuning in. InfoSec Sync is brought to you by VicTech. At VicTech, they pride themselves on teamwork, customer satisfaction, and providing customers with elite engineering and technology solutions. They aim to become an ever more dominant force in every area, product, or service they represent. Visit them on the web at VicTech.net. That's V-I-K-T-E-C-H dot net. InfoSec Sync is also brought to you by AllPoints. AllPoints provides a range of technology and mission-critical services within its core competencies that span systems engineering, information technology, cybersecurity, software development, as well as hardware and software integrated solutions. AllPoints, integrating personnel, technology, and services to exceed customer expectations. InfoSexing is also brought to you by the Van Dyke Technology Group. At Van Dyke, their work is focused on the performance and security of information systems of national impact. Optimize performance, maximize security. Experience the Van Dyke difference and visit them on the web at vdtg.com. And now, for Stories of the Week ending November 14th, 2014. All right, guys, we're ready for another hey, what's up, fantastic everyone? week in information security. Um, this is episode 10. Wow. It's a milestone. Um, but, uh, you know, we're just getting started. So thank you to all of our listeners, first and foremost. Uh, thank you for your support. Again, if you have any feedback for what we're doing, feedback at infosexinc.com. We've received some great comments. And, um, you know, we really enjoy doing this. I, I don't think we've taken a... You know, second out to kind of, we're passionate about what we're doing. I and like, it's fun. I, I like talking about this yeah. stuff. It's fun. Um, so let's go ahead and jump into it. Another great week. Um, so this week, uh, I want to talk about first and foremost, um, iOS. Right. So the mask attack, which is you know basically saying every iOS app could be compromised. So, uh, looking at this, and right after you got that iPhone. Oh, I know. I just got, I just got, okay, so they've been bugging me forever about my StarTac. Too long. Too long, so I finally got an iPhone 6 Plus. Wow. So they can't talk smack anymore. I can, because it doesn't have a case. (laughs) How do you buy a phone and not have, it's never good enough? Because I had to special order my case. Really? Yeah. All right. You know what? One time um, somebody had on YouTube a cement case. So they would take the phone and put like painter's tape and stuff on the front of it and dip it in like on the buttons and the microphone and stuff. What? And then they would put cement around it. Yeah, it's a real thing. They do it. Is there a uh, picture of it anywhere? Yeah, I'll I'll forward it to you over there. Um, But yeah, this guy had a whole YouTube video on how to do it. And he's like, if you don't have a case... You don't have a problem because you can just use cement. So I thought that was pretty interesting. So I just go to your local hardware store and buy the Quickrete or whatever? Yeah, Quickrete. <laughs> and then you're good to go. So with this mask attack, basically saying that every iOS app could be compromised, uh, researchers at FireEye identified a new attack dubbed Mask, which allows uh, attackers to replace a genuine app with a malicious one. And these days... Apple and the community has discovered that it's vulnerable to WireLurker, which is a new strain of malware that's able to infect Apple iPhone and iPad um, system or devices, siphoning off users' data. The malware was discovered for the first time by experts at Palo Alto that revealed it exhibited behavior that had never been seen before, um, and it was malware targeting just straight-up Apple mobile devices. Unfortunately, it has yet to be patched. Meanwhile... The security experts analyzed the WireLurker case. The disclosure of a new attack in the wild, exploiting a vulnerability dubbed Mask, is attracting the interest of the experts. Um, Practically, the exploitation of the Mask flaw allows bad actors to replace enterprise-signed apps and overwrite them with trojanized apps. 
So the mass vulnerability allows an attacker to swap out a legitimate iOS app with, an, with a malicious one. The attack scheme is effective against jailbroken and non-jailbroken devices, so that doesn't matter. You could have a legitimate iOS um, device or a jailbroken device and it's still going to affect you just as the same. Mask affects iOS 711, 712, 80, 81, and 811 beta. Its attack schema is quite different from Wirelurker that affects Apple mobile devices once connected via USB, but it can also be run remotely via SMS or email messaging, pointing a victim towards a malicious app. So this is kind of like the, um, you remember we talked about the malware that basically propagated through Android devices through the Google Play Store and it used Dropbox? Yep. So this is kind of the same thing, except instead of it being image.apk, this one basically points you towards a malicious app, and it exploits some things within iOS um, that you know they that doesn't analyze the digital certificate and allows it to overwrite a legitimate application. And it's not using the Apple Store, right? No, this so is after the fact. This is after the fact. So in this case, the problem seems to be caused by a poor implementation of an authentication process, and uh, a senior staff research scientist at FireEye explained that Apple's Enterprise provisioning feature does not analyze digital certificates for apps given identical bundle identifiers. So the enterprise provisioning service implemented by Apple allows enterprise iOS developers to develop and distribute iOS apps without having to unload the app to Apple. Um, FireEye Mobile Research has discovered that you know uh, an iOS app installed using enterprise and ad hoc provisioning could replace another genuine app installed through the App Store as long as both apps use the same bundle identifier. This vulnerability exists because iOS doesn't enforce matching certificates for apps with the same bundle identifier, and an attacker can leverage this vulnerability both through wireless and USB. iOS doesn't check certificates during the updating, and attackers can replace the old app with a fake app. Currently, there is no MDM API to get the certificate information for each app. That's difficult for the MDM to detect such attacks. Um, also, the researcher talked uh, from FireEye talked about WireLurker and explained that it is the unique uh, case of attack up until now that was uh, observed in exploiting the mass vulnerability. Let's remind that WireLurker malware in its first stage infects a host, which is a desktop or laptop, which downloaded the malicious software from the web and waits for the Apple device to be connected via USB. Once the device is connected to the infected PC, WireLurker scans it and analyzes the installed applications. Then if a target app is present, it copies the app from the mobile device to the host, infects it, then installs it again on the mobile unit. The blog post published by FireEye also included a demonstration of the attack, and the experts have exploited the mask, replacing a valid Gmail app downloaded from the App Store with a malicious version of the same app that is able to siphon users' messages. The attack starts with an SMS sent to the victims that invite them to download a new version of the legitimate app called New Flappy Bird. Um, the researcher said, In one of our experiments, we used the in-house app with a bundle identifier, com.google.gmail, with the title of New Flappy Bird. We signed the app using an enterprise certificate. When we installed this app from a website, it replaced the original Gmail app on the phone. And then, by using the mask attack, attackers can get all of your existing sensitive data on your iPhone. So, Flappy Bird then is changed to the Gmail app, right? New Flappy Bird. New fla or new Flappy Bird is changed to, yeah. <laughs> Remember that game? Yes, yeah, I actually still have it. You still have it on yeah. your? Yeah. Okay. 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 So, um, you know, that just shows you how the inner workings of the attack is. So, the attack is very dangerous. A bad actor would be able to mimic the original app to steal users' credentials, the risk is serious if we think the possibility to compromise um, banking apps, for example. Right? Oh, he just pulled it up right now. So uh, it's obligatory that we have to uh, put the Flappy Bird somewhere on the website there. <laughs> <laughs> maybe or maybe not, depending on how Flappy Bird feels about that. So um, let's see. Surprisingly, the malware can even access the original app's local data which wasn't removed when the original app was replaced. This data may contain cached emails or even login tokens, which the malware can use to log into the user's accounts directly. The principal problem for the security community is related to the simplicity and the exploitation of the mass vulnerability. 
Um, and then the researcher said, and I quote, it is a very powerful vulnerability, but at the same time, it is very easy to exploit. So it's high risk, high ease of use. It's something that definitely needs to be addressed. It also, um, it was said that it can make the enterprise provisioning attack more powerful and um, you have more coverage over the victim. It's easy to exploit and that's why we are so concerned and we think users should be warned. In order to avoid falling victim to the mask attack, it is uh, suggested to adopt the practices of do not download mobile apps by clicking on a link received via email, text messages, or present on a web page. Do not install apps offered on pop-ups from third-party websites. If the mobile device displays an alert about an untrusted app developer, click don't trust on the alert and uninstall the application immediately. So it's something you have to be on the lookout for. I think that um, you know the attackers or you know actually looked at this. Not attackers in this day. I mean FireEye made was it was it no it wasn't FireEye was it? Yeah, it was FireEye. Yeah, so FireEye made you know this discovery, and also we have um, security experts looking at WireLurker. So there, and that was Palo Alto that actually discovered that. So we have a number of security researchers in the community that are working for these companies, great companies, and they're saying, look, this is what we're identifying. However, if you're an attacker, right, this attack method could have been used for a very long time. Um, But this is good. I'm glad that the disclosure is out there, but the problem is it's like anything else. Once you disclose it, other people are going to try to use it. So what they're going to have to do is start enforcing uh, matching certificates. Yes. Um, so that might cost them more money, but... Yeah, code signing yeah. and enforcing the matching certificates. But to be honest with you, I mean, that, that should have been baked into the process early on. That's like, um, you know, PKI and Certificate 101, right? Um, not to leave the trust open-ended after the installation so I can then exploit that trust, which is what the you know the attack is doing in this case. Excellent. So it's something to look out for, uh, most definitely. So do you have anything for us this week? All right, Matt, I have a critical Microsoft vulnerability. Can you believe that? Warning, warning, danger to manifold. And it's MS14-066. The vulnerability actually resides in the Microsoft Secure Channel, which is the S channel. That's the security component that implements the SSL and the TLS. So S channel is part of the security package that helps provide an authentication service to provide secure comms between client and the server. In the bulletin, Microsoft explained that a failure to properly filter specially formed packets allow bad actors to run an attack by sending specially crafted packets to a Windows-based server. The vulnerability could allow remote code execution if an attacker sends specially crafted packets. Um, It's rated critical for all supported releases of Microsoft Windows. Um, They warned that the flaw affects servers, but it's also rated critical for both client and server version of Windows. Experts speculate that the remote code vulnerability may impact every Windows-based systems that run software that listen on internet ports and accepts encrypted connections from outside. Um, for example, a server that exposes an FTP service accepting connections from the internet. Uh, the overall impact of the vulnerability could be dramatic. Um, this is the last case in order of time for major flaws that are threatening the security of the internet users like the Heartbleed bug in OpenSSL. Uh-oh. Um, so check out MS14066 Security Advisory. Um, don't waste your time. Yeah, be sure to check it out. I mean, this is something that it's already the patch has already been released. So it's really just applying the patches. So you have a defense in depth methodology already deployed. It's like the layers of the onion. Yeah. You need to look at definitely. what's you know, what's forward facing, patch that first and then go inwards. So, um yeah, I mean, uh on to other news. Uh oh. What's going on guys? Hey, what's going on, Vic? I was just about to get into another story, Vic. What's going on? What, what, what kind of story were you telling? You know, story time around here. What was the uh, last story you were... We did uh, the Microsoft, new Microsoft vulnerability. There's a patch out. Individuals need to patch ASAP. Yeah, you better patch your server. Patchyourserver.com. Man. Is that out there? Somebody looked that up. Is patchyourserver.com <laughs> out there? There's Patch Adams. 
<laughs> that's too funny. So this is um, all right. So that's that was basically attacking TLS, right? Is it a weakness in TLS and SSL and SSL? Yeah. Very very important that people uh, patch that. So what I want to get into. All right, so we have email, right? And um, Nick's new to email because he just got his new phone. <laughs> but uh, he he uses Yay, Nick. <laughs> so he actually uh, you know uses the mail app on his phone now. But before that, he used the post office. I mean, he actually knew all the hours of the post office. Snail mail. And snail mail. You know that was synonymous with Nick mail. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I have a story on on the uh, on the postal service. So, state-sponsored hackers are suspected of breaching the systems of the United States Postal Service, which exposed the data of more than eight hundred thousand employees. So, the U.S. Postal Service has suffered a major breach that may have exposed the personal information of more than eight hundred thousand employees, including data on customers who contacted the Postal Service Customer Care Center by telephone or email from January through August 16th of this year. Contact information from an estimated 2.9 million customers was also exposed during the breach. According to the U.S. Postal Service, the data breach did not affect credit card data from other online services, including Click and Ship, the Postal Store, Postal One, or the Change of Address services. The Postal Service confirmed that the employee's personal information exposed include the names, dates of birth, security numbers, social security numbers, addresses, and the beginning and end dates of employment and emergency contact information for employees. The intrusion is limited in scope, and all operations of the Postal Service are functioning as normally expected. That was the USPS spokesman Dave Partenheimer said in an official statement. Security experts speculate that a persistent threat actor is behind the attack, Several specialists hypothesized the involvement of a foreign uh, government like China or Russia. Partenheimer added that the attack was run by a quote-unquote sophisticated actor who was not interested in credit card fraud, neither to arrange large-scale scam with stolen data. The U.S. Postal Service was a privileged target for state-sponsored hackers, and uh, for this reason it's not simple to imagine um, who's behind the data breach. So George uh, Kurtz, who's the chief executive of the cybersecurity firm CrowdStrike, said that there's a lot of information there, and it has great value to nation states like China or cyber criminals in Russia. The U.S. Postal or U.S. Post Office Postal Service moves billions of letters each year, and all that is captured digitally. Kurtz told Reuters. The information flow of where letters and packages and correspondence correspondence are going and who is taking or who is talking to whom is very interesting to them, so they can do a correlation. As usually happens in these cases, to the company that suffers the attack, also the U.S. Postal Service would pay victims to get credit monitoring services for one year. However, the principal fear of U.S. law enforcement and intelligence is that stolen information could be used in secondary major attacks, like a spear phishing campaign against vital uh, national structures. The U.S. Postal Service... Breach follows a couple of major attacks that occurred in the last months. In August, the USIS, which is the U.S. Investigation Service, which provides background checks for the U.S. government, was hacked. Meanwhile, in early July, alleged Chinese hackers hacked the systems of the OPM, which is the Office of Personnel Management. As reported by Reuters, the U.S. Representative Elijah Cummings asked Postmaster General Patrick Donahue in a letter on Monday for more detail on the data breach. Um, And let's see, the increased frequency and sophistication of cyber attacks upon both public and private entities highlights the need for greater collaboration to improve data security. And that was from um, Cummings, which is the senior Democrat on the House of Representatives Oversight and Government Reform Committee. And the FBI is leading the investigation on this particular data breach. Very scary stuff. That's crazy. So, um, in essence, what would you say, Vic? Going postal. Somebody went postal. So that that's that's pretty crazy. Um, something to look out for, especially if uh, you know you're going to see chain attacks uh, here in the future. So I have another uh, story about the National Hospital Service in UK. Let me guess, it has something to do with Windows. It probably does. Does it? 
Yeah. Does it look, smell like windows? <laughs> it does. Thousands of patient records in the UK are vulnerable to cyber fraudsters after up to 20 trusts under the National Hospital Service failed to extend security support for outdated Windows XP with Microsoft. Trusts running on the outdated operating system risks reversed engineering attacks from hackers exploiting vulnerabilities on the unsupported operating system. Currently, over 85% of the trusts run on outdated Windows XP with a majority of the trust depending on a Microsoft patch and security updates for the outdated operating system. Uh, trusts were required to sign a Premier Services Agreement with Microsoft in order to access periodic patches and security updates, but only 18 trusts failed to sign the pact. Microsoft uh, first signaled the end of commercial support for Windows XP, as everyone knows, in 2007 and the mainstream support ending in 2009 and extended security ending this year, April of 2014. Governments and organizations who were yet to upgrade to newer operating system versions were required to sign the PSA agreement by the 31st of May of this year for another extension period of one year. And they quote, if you have not migrated away from Windows XP, security patch downloads will only become available to organizations once you have put a Premier Services Agreement. So that means for those customers that are paying dollars, right? It's a lot of money they have, for the, they have for to For the pay. extended agreement. So I think um, I think some countries um, actually looked into that and, and paid some dollars and cents to make sure that that, uh, that gets taken care of. So what are the further details for this particular incident in, in, in case? Uh, technically, the end of the commercial support for XP means that Microsoft would stop releasing security patches and security updates for the OS, meaning that security holes discovered past the support period would go unattended. Um, so did, how, how much did the government sign a deal? How much was it? It was 5.5 million 5.5 million pounds. pounds? Is the deal they reached with Microsoft. It's like 10 mil. To extend the support for Windows XP. For organizations that are running on that OS, right? Yeah, exactly. So that was for 12 months. So they were supposed to upgrade to the new operating system in eight months. And then, okay. Yeah. Wow, this is crazy. Adding that all public sector organizations will have to be upgraded by the April 2015 guidelines. So it seems like they extended it and had a grace period, but they went beyond that grace period. So because they failed to extend that security support, now they have multiple systems that they unpatched have within the enterprise vulnerable. environment that are unpatched and vulnerable. Yeah. Wow, not good. Not good at all. But I mean, industrial control systems, ICS and SCADA has been facing the same issue for a number of years. However, it doesn't become a problem until you have that exposure. And the exposure level is connecting it to the internet or having some outside attacks. However, a lot of people think that four walls guard you. However, you can have an insider come in, launch attacks, and start siphoning off data. Since so one of those things where you have to exercise defense in depth and ensure that things are patched to the fullest extent possible. So with that, I'm going to get into another story. I have a cool story. Well, all of our stories are cool. But this one, <laughs> this one's extra cool. So, Instacam.com. It's like Shodan HQ. So, Instacam.com is a new website which is uh, broadcasting online private. Well, so let me clarify. Shodan HQ was a website that was put out there to raise awareness on systems that have vulnerabilities that are you know, uh, forward facing, right? Right. So that was like a repository of, you know, if I want to know how many, <laughs> if I want to know, are, are you okay over there? <laughs> if I want to know how many, um, you know, SQL servers are vulnerable out there, right? That are forward facing, or I want to know how many Linksys routers are out there with a particular firmware and revision, I can do that, uh, and it allows you to do that. So it correlates and concatenates everything for you. However, Instacam is a little bit different. So it's a new website, and it's broadcasting online private security camera footage from thousands of spots across Canada, all without knowledge of people who own and operate the cameras. 
Wait a second. Is it just um, Canada or no? It, it so this was pulled from a Canadian source. Oh, however, okay. Um, I think it's very widespread. Um, it probably affects. I mean, if they're running that now on the internet to look for vulnerable uh, cameras and pulling the, the footage back, I mean, I think it probably spans the multiple world. countries. Yeah. So Instacam.com um, has feeds from IP cameras, uh, internet protocol cameras that are all over the world. So basically, it's a series of websites that um, basically go through and look the internet for open ports, you know, uh, very easy to enumerate, and then allow people to get in. So Instacram broadcasts footage from thousands of cameras from around the world, um, and they only broadcast footage from cameras that haven't had their default passwords changed. Wouldn't that be considered spyware? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds well, like they're trying to, uh, <laughs> T- technically, expose uh, people with bad security practices, but they might not even know that they have bad security practices. Yeah, so it's spyware, but it's not spyware. It's just them looking for, you know, vulnerable cameras and putting it in a, in a fashion that people can browse. Why would somebody do that? They they don't have anything else going on. They're just bored. No, what I think it could have sprawled from is, and I'm playing devil's advocate here, somebody that basically said, I noticed there's something awry. There's an issue out there. Individuals are not taking security serious. You know, they're using convenience. It's at the sake of convenience, and they're not em- em- employing and using um, secure methods for implementation. And this was their way of saying that. So it's a concerned citizen, right? It could be, or it could be somebody that's just straight up nefarious and just wants to do something crazy. But either way, um, so people are buying a lot of cameras and surveillance systems because vandalism is rampant, break-ins, and the number of reasons why people want to feel more secure in buying these cameras. So there's apps and things that you can install on your smartphone, um, not on your StarTech, but on your iPhone 6 Plus, that basically go back over the internet protocol and log in um, and, and can actually pull that information back. But um, Don, was it Don Karens? of IC computers in Winnipeg says he sells thousands of IP cameras a month. The cameras allow users to view footage from anywhere and and they can access the internet so you hook it to your wireless network. If you want to leave your surveillance camera public accessible but want to remove it from the site, send the URL of your camera um, to the email from the contact session but remember the camera will still be available to all internet users. Um, So for example if I'm on a network and I'm on layer two, layer three, and I'm looking at the traffic that's traversing the network, right? I'm sniffing the traffic, and I see you go out to this IP camera, right? And through default credentials, now somebody can enumerate and know that, okay, this this is default. And also, if you remove it from this website, that's security through obscurity. That's not actually taking care of the issue. So you need to um, change the default passwords. So let's see. Um, an Instacam feed shows security camera footage from inside uh, a tattoo parlor, and there was some a pizza place, a car insurance retailer. So even if the uh, individual's identity is known, the person's location also plays in any potential legal action that could be taken. Just because um, you're there in Canada, if somebody else wanted was in a different country, their laws may not apply to them. So that means that looking at these things and hacking these things, they can be looked at differently um, from different places in the world. So owners of these cameras, they use the default passwords. They just need to change it up. And, um, you know, they kind of plug it in, set it, and forget it. So for all you listeners out there, ensure if you have an IP uh, camera or you have some type of device within the household, I don't care if it's a Nest thermostat, if it's, you know, um, a, a connected you know, refrigerator to the network or an IP camera, ensure that you have a secure implementation method. I mean, the Internet of Things is here, um, and this is kind of what defines the Internet of Things. So how are you going to secure, um, you know, the, the magnitude of Internet of Things? You know, I was just thinking, though, even from the manufacturer standpoint, shouldn't they set the equipment up, the devices, to have you change the default password as soon as you set them up? Some people don't want that. Yeah, but... uh, And also, now the vendor is somewhat responsible. So if they say, change your password when you first install it, now what happens when um, 
when you have a configuration, you have multiple cameras set up on your property, you call the help desk, right, for this camera manufacturer, and they say, all right, go ahead and hit the reset button. Now they don't have the default credentials. So it's at the sake of convenience. Um, in this particular case, would be providing technical assistance. However, most people, you know, in the firmware especially, it, that's what's, that's where it's set is in the firmware. So we can get the default credentials from that. You're not secure even if it's installed in your house. I think a lot of people think, okay, if the camera is installed in my house, then nobody else can get to it, right? And if it's on my network, nobody else can get to it. But if it's wirelessly connected, especially with default credentials, it's very easy for somebody to gain access to it. So that is something that the vendors could implement, is changing the fast password and enforcing password complexity requirements. You know the uh, baby monitor cameras? Yep. That was a big thing with those. A lot of There's probably some baby cam monitors on there, right? Yep, and you can actually search that. Um, you can search those types of things. And in sites like Shodan HQ and find an immense number. I mean, I haven't searched myself, but I'm pretty sure if you did it, there's a lot of people that keep those default credentials. As a parent, I would feel very uncomfortable with that, right? Somebody having the ability to watch my baby while I'm sleeping, that's kind of weird. Um, not only that, but look, look at like the Nest thermostat and, and things like that. Somebody, if you have default credentials on that, now at the sake of convenience with being able to turn up the heat or turn on the AC when you're away from home, now or, you're or able to turn, turn off the AC, right? Um, <laughs> now you're able to remotely control somebody's uh, temperature. So do you think next house. week we're going to be talking about this, but them getting sued or whoever is responsible for doing it? No, I think that... Um, there will be some legal stipulations in place that kind of um, prevent the vendor from being liable in this case. Because really it's, all right, if you buy a car, drive it down the road, and you drive it at 11,000 miles without changing the oil, and you bring it back to the manufacturer and say, my engine seized up, right? They're going to say, did you observe our maintenance plan? Same thing with this. So if you take an IP camera and hook it up to your network and you say, hey, look, you know, somebody hacked me, they're going to say, did you use our, our recommended method of changing the password, right, the default credentials? And that's going to be the way out. So we kind of have to look at this as chalk it up to individuals that are consumers need to employ secure implementation methods when consuming these devices, actually installing them on their network. So, um, let's see. What else? You got anything? What, what other cool stories do you have over there, Nick? I know I see you buzzing. Yeah, here's one. Iowa's second busiest airport is the target of the latest computer breach by hackers. Cyber crooks broke into a database at the Eastern Iowa Airport in Cedar Rapids and may have accessed data about customers who paid for parking there with credit or debit cards. The time frame was between September 29th and October 29th. Those customers are warned to keep a close eye on their accounts. Apparently no other airport services were hit by the hackers and officials say they've isolated the server and put a better firewall in place. Well, let's hope so, Eastern Iowa Airport. A new firewall? Is it tuned right? I don't know. Hmm. They put the ACLs in place, right? Maybe. Block. they should hit us up. Firewall at infosexsync.com. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> they put the ACLs in right for the attacker. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, it's any, not... Any, allow any, any. <laughs> yeah. IP deny any, any. Wait, that would actually work. So it's not about purchasing the appliance. We're not buying rims or tires for a car. You don't just slap them on and then we're good to go, right? This is something that requires a planned implementation. So if you're going to buy a firewall or an appliance and install it on the network, right between your POP, your internal net, and the external network, then that's something that should definitely be addressed. You know, I think a lot of system owners especially say, all right, I just spent $120,000 on a firewall implementation, quote unquote, but they didn't get any of the continued support. Now, how many alerts are you getting? What's actually occurring in the network? Are you blocking what you need to block? Do you have any covert channels? Do you have any leaking happening from the network perspective? 
what's going on, right? Those are the questions that have to be asked. So hopefully Iowa is asking those questions at their airport because it kind of hit close to home, right? Um, that was not that was not a good event that occurred. And a parking lot of all things. That's what happens. Guess nobody's getting any parking tickets, right, Vic? That's right. Um, oh, unless they know your trick? Yeah. Wow. What was... Do you want to elaborate on what the trick was? Yeah, my trick back in the day was... Uh, you don't have to mention the place, but... I won't mention the place, but... Uh, I was, when I was younger, I used to be notorious for parking tickets. So one day I just decided I would take an old parking ticket and just put it under my... Uh, Object reuse. <laughs> so that way I wouldn't get another ticket. And that would actually work for a few months, and then the... Uh, ticket um, they did an md5 hash <laughs> found <laughs> out it was the same one <laughs> so they kind of caught on to it and what happened did they give you a bigger ticket <laughs> 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 or was it the sa- it was the same amount right well then i was wondering like since i got the ticket for the day can i use it around for the whole day or <laughs> <laughs> right you're paid anyway right for that day right like, heck that's, i already paid 80 bucks shoot this is my spot i'm gonna go look for illegal spots to park yeah. that's too that's too funny so um all right i want to segue into another story so google ordered is ordered by courts to assist marvel right in a search for uh, the avengers their trailer leak right so that's that's a movie that that's coming out the avengers which is i think it's the age of ultron so there was a teaser trailer that was put out so the avengers trailer was leaked in late october a week ahead of its uh, original release schedule right so google has been ordered by u.s court to help marvel search for the individual who leaked the new avengers age of ultron movie trailer according to a subpoena which was issued by the u.s district court for the northern district of california the subpoena said you are commanded to produce at the time date and place set forth below the following documents electronically stored information or objects and to permit inspection copying testing or sampling of the material and uh, marvel also asked but wasn't granted to permit uh, entry onto designated premises so that the requesting party may inspect measure survey photograph test or sample the property or any designated object or operation on it in other words, Google was told to provide any data that would help identify the user, I think it was uh, Josh Gazelle, um, who leaked the trailer. So ultimately, they did find find the perpetrator. The subpoena was uh, also obliged Google to turn over the IP address from which the file name, and they provide a file name string, and containing content known as Avengers 8 of Ultron was uploaded to the Google Drive site. The leak caused significant damage to Marvel and its Avengers movie in terms of money and publicity. So far, the media outlets allege that the leaker is someone who works for Marvel. So they found the person, found the IP. Man, Google is, is uh, like the police, man. Or the police go to them for everything. The police go to them for everything now. I mean, they're providing so many services, and they're great services. We use Google Drive all the time um, and Google Docs. But, you know, at the same time, what what have I always harped on? entering an SLA with a service provider. So if you're using Google Apps for business or something of the sort, you got to make sure that you have on the line. So when something like this happens and somebody's subpoenaed um, for some information, you actually know. There's a record for it. Yeah, what's going to be, you know, permitted entry or, you know, what somebody's going to be able to view. So this was leaked one week ahead of time. How much? Um, I don't even know. It doesn't they say, say how much It doesn't say in the report, but I bet you it was a lot of money. Um. You know, they obviously have... Oh, for, ad, for ads and things like that, right? Yeah, because you have to think of it this way. They pay to have that advertisement in all the movie theaters, right? So now somebody can look at it for free. They're used to the shock and awe in the movie theater with all the sounds and the experience itself. Now it's kind of cheap in the experience because you can just go online and look at it. And it goes viral very quickly. So, but... This could have been released through P2P methods as well. Yeah, did it say where they found it or where people were watching it? Yeah, Google Drive. Oh, it was straight on Google Drive? Yeah, uh, it was uploaded (laughs) to the Google Drive site, and then he just shared out the link from there, apparently. So, you know, this was all in a a story we got from uh, Industry News. So here's another cool story. 
Indiana Department of Education's website was hacked, bringing the site down. So apparently it happened. This is the second time it happened. The department says that there is no sign that any data hosted on the website was compromised. The department's IT staff has taken the website down temporarily while the issue is being addressed. On Monday, the website was hacked and a message appeared saying the hack was done by the, quote, Nigerian Cyber Army. End quote. The department later took down the website, saying there had been a security breach. The same group appeared to take credit for Thursday's hack. Partners at IndyStar were able to capture a screenshot of the hacked website before it was taken offline. The site has since come back online. Good deal. Well, that's pretty cool. So uh, I guess it was just hacked through normal. Have you ever heard of the Nigerian Cyber Army? I have not. I've heard of the Nigerian Prince scheme on um, Craigslist, where they say that um, you can forward money to a certain individual. Sometimes it's a money-making scheme. Sometimes oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, to pay yeah, for yeah. services and things like that. I've heard of that, but I have not heard of the Nigerian Cyber Army. So this is something to look out for. So obviously there's some type of you know defacement and things like that that are occurring. Again, if an attacker can't get in, the last thing they're going to do is a distributed denial of service. Right, so defacement is basically saying I got onto your network, or in this case, the web server if they're hosting it somewhere else, and I was able to manipulate the content on there. However, it could have been just as easily, you know, you could have a quiet attack occurring, and a quiet attack is the web requests that are coming to the website. You inject some malicious code on that, or malware. You have cross-site request forgery, some JavaScript injection, something um, iframe injection, something occurring. So that's good that it was a website defacement. Because now they're able to say, all right, it's HTML content that was changed. I can fix that. Yeah, that's real simple. And put it back up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, really cool stuff. So let's go ahead and segue into another one. I mean, defacement and everything is really popular right now. So a group of pro-ISIS hackers hacked and defaced a website on the Inniswood Baptist Church in um, the Bari City of Canada Monday afternoon. The hackers left a defacement page along with a message in Arabic and English text on the hacked church website showing their affiliation and affection for the ISIS terrorist group in Iraq and Syria. The text said, I love you, ISIS, along with the ISIS logo, a long Arabic message calling for the destruction of America, um, and along with the images of fighter jets and uh, victims and things like that. So um, this is not the first time that the pro-ISIS hackers have targeted Canadian-based websites. Just two weeks ago, University of New Brunswick students, uh, the student union site was also under attack by the same group. They asked the church about their site attack and or the site hack, and they were not aware of it at that time, but now the investigation is under the way. By the time of publishing the article, Inniswood Baptist Church website was restored and working online, so they probably called whoever's um, providing services for the website and said, we need a site backup stat and apparently they're doing some investigation to find out where these people are Ho- yeah hopefully they call some good people in yeah so i don't know in this case it's like if you're going to put up a what i don't think you know the, just like with the ip cameras people don't understand that when you put something out there and you have it living on the web you're responsible for that thing right just having the bare bones plugins and things like that are not enough you know you have to keep it up not enough protection so having security through obscurity and just thinking that if you set something out there and it's set it and forget it, it's going to just remain okay, that, that's thinking that's going to get your website defaced, obviously. And with sites that are able to enumerate on a daily basis what's out there and is vulnerable just makes it easier for attackers to pick something to attack, the low-hanging fruit. Um, so it's something to look out for. So you know, what's something up, to add, too, you know, it just made me think. Um, you almost like kind of have to upgrade things these days. You can't buy something like buy an old uh, router and just keep it out there. Well, we, we learned that with Linksys. Yeah. Uh, Those were old routers that had, you know, um, issues with the firmware for a while. And, you know, it just stayed out there. So, about the breakdowns? What's going on, Nick? No, no. Just checking some connections. Checking the connection? Cool. He's making sure our website's updated over here, which is good. Um, so... Let's see. I have another story that's cool. You want to hear it? Sure. Sure. What's up? So you remember Backoff, which was the... It was a um, POS, wasn't it? That's a point-of-sale malware. Um, So it 
picked up a number of new tricks and made it harder for analysts to analyze and detect the, the threat. So um, Fortinet basically detailed a new findings in a Monday blog post authored by researcher uh, Hong Chan that um, it was confirmed to be on the systems of Dairy Queen last month, and that's where we reported it, and it may have been responsible for breaches impacting target and super value and is estimated to have infected over a thousand US businesses and that's what the Secret Service reported. An increase in back off infections this year has also prompted the PCI DSS or sorry, the Payment Card Industry Security Standards Council, which puts out PCI DSS, to publish a bulletin urging merchants to contact their A V provider and ensure that the software detects the malware. Uncovered in late July, Backoff scrapes memory for running processes on targeted devices and has therefore been planted on retailers' point-of-sale systems by criminals designed to pilfer um, customer card data. So according to Fortinet's Chan, um, the researcher, the latest variant of Backoff, which is dubbed ROM, and um, it's detected, and, and there will be a link up that you can go ahead and check this off, but it's w32 slash backoff dot b exclamation point tr dot spy disguises itself as a media player during file or media player file during installation. So backoff drops a copy of itself on the infected machine, creates a number of auto run registry entries to ensure persistence. And then the latest version, which is ROM, is no different, but instead of disguising itself as a Java component, as with the previous versions, it pretends to be a media player with a file named mplayerc.exe. The new variant ROM is also able to parse track 1 and track 2 card data as previous backoff version had, but has been updated to hash the names of the blacklist processes and store stolen credit card data on the local system. So in order to um, avoid detection, the ROM variant also communicates with its control hub, the CNC server, over port 443 and encrypts the traffic. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it does. Yeah. The stolen credit card data is still encoded with RC4 and Base64, but the algorithm for generating the RC4 key has been slightly modified. In the new version, there is a slight modification in the concatenated string. Um, you can see that the bot now concatenates four components, a hard-coded string, the randomly generated seven-character string, another hard-coded string, and the user logon name and computer name. Chan also noted that ROM does not support key logging. Um, however, a feature present is previous backoff, you know, like in previous backoff variants. Since keylogging is an essential feature of backoff, researchers believe that malware author may reintroduce the capability in a later variant. Back in August, um, August security firm Trustwave detected two backoff variants dubbed WED and version 1.5, which works similar to an early version of the malware that was called LAST. So LAST was noted as injecting malicious stub into explorer.exe, so that backoff could maintain the persistence on the effective device and the executable crashes or is forcibly stopped. So you have to stop the process. Trustwave said at the time, LAST also included support for multiple domain configuration and uses modified code. So this is like really beefed up, I would think, crimeware. This is like what we were reporting on last it's week. It's very excellent crimeware. So, I mean, now they're, they said, all right, so analysts are looking at data exfil and they have DLPs on the network, data loss prevention modules. So now, guess what? We're Let's going encrypt to encrypt it. it. <laughs> so um, as has been the standard recommendation, Fortinet advises users to look uh, to US CERT for back-off defense strategies and steps and to keep their AV updated as the number of variants continue to grow. So that's going to let you know that, the, you know that you've been compromised, right? That you have um, point-of-sale systems on the network that have been affected. Hopefully, you have um, employed some of the SANS top 20 critical security controls, or you have the DSD Australian DSD top 35. Um, you know, the, those are security methods that can be employed in um, enterprise environments. I actually think it starts with application whitelisting and things like that. So it's kind of um, hardcore when you're looking at like a top 35 things as a business owner to look at. However, I hope you have those methods employed because one of those methods is having a blessed copy of uh, things that you're putting out on the point of sale systems in in name of um, like an image, right? So if we and notice, using the same image every time, using the same image every time, you don't have variants. So your um, admins are not saying, okay, it doesn't work in this particular site, so we're going to modify X, Y, and Z. You're actually looking beyond that and saying, okay. Um, 
what's wrong, how do we have to change that blessed copy um, to allow usability across the enterprise environment? Because if um, something were to occur like this, and you were able to say, okay, that there are multitude of systems that are compromised from my WUSA server, for example, um, now you're able to make it very easy for you to do a cleanup. Um, you may be, depending upon if you what protocols you have, you may be able to pixie boot or you know, do something to where you can push that out in the enterprise environment. Um, these are all things that you should look at. So what do you think, Nick? I think you definitely, definitely have to look at all the um, servers, workstations, um, firewalls in your enterprise environment. Make sure they're up to date. Make sure they're hardened. Make sure um, certain things aren't connected. Um, lock down all your ports. So have good configuration management all through your infrastructure planning. Excellent configuration management. Um, that's key, especially when you're you know a retailer and you have you know multitude of stores. You have thousand plus stores that you have to have, you know, um, you have to think ISO, right? So like the International Organizational Standard, right? With 9001, 27,000, the different things that they push out. You have to, standardizing across the enterprise environment is key because then you can rebound from certain events that occur like this very quickly and rapidly. Um, and it has a minimal effect to uh, your business. So, I mean, with that, that's about it. That's all we have. That's about all we have for episode 10. Um, we don't have any events coming up um, here soon. I'm thinking about ShmooCon in January. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, if we get tickets, then they already go on sale? Um, so they have like a, uh, a registration page and stuff like that, but they sold out in 15 seconds last year um, across the span of all of them. So, you know, it's pretty interesting. We'll see what happens. We'll hit up. Maybe we have to write a script or something. Yeah, maybe we'll call Bruce. We'll call Bruce. Hey, Bruce Potter, shout out, man. So um, shout out to Bruce Potter. Shout out to Bruce. Um, be sure to check out that event. Uh, maybe we can provide some event coverage for that. So um, with that, I mean, do we have any shout outs this week? I don't. I don't have any immediate shout outs. I don't either. So uh, hit us up. Feedback at infosexsync.com. Thank you so much for listening in, and uh, look forward to episode number eleven here. And uh, this should carry us out through the, the rest of the year. We'll be at, like, what, episode 15 or so? Probably. Um, like and uh, look forward to a new 2015. So um, happy holidays to everybody coming up here. And uh, look forward to talking to you all next week. 